0: And welcome back to another episode of Tin. I am still your host, John Roper, same guy. Joining me on today's episode is going to be Ian Kinch. He's a familiar voice, one of my really, really good friends. And, uh, yeah, again, he's going to be joining me today. I don't have too much to get into before the show. I'll give a shout-out to the Vegas Aces for winning the WNBA Finals. They're an absolutely dominant franchise. They've been fun to watch. Um... I'm going for the Phillies, like I mentioned in the last episodes. they're still playing really strong. Bryce Harper is huge. I do love the Diamondbacks, they're a good story, but go Phils. Um, But again, I don't need to bore too many things. Uh, on today's episode, we're going to be discussing whether we think that the three MLB rule changes are good. We're also going to be discussing whether we think that mid-season trades are effective and then finally, we're just going to kind of wrap the episode off with a bit, bit of a more fun one just kind of for us and hopefully for you listeners. But we're going to be discussing our favorite sports logos and jerseys of all time. Um, yeah, with that all being said, I got nothing else more to add. Sit back, relax, and uh, hope you guys enjoy this episode. And here we are, everybody, with that first segment of the episode, and I am joined by a familiar voice. Say hi, Ian.
1: John, I took a bit of a podcast vacation. I have been on a few episodes, so let's see if I remember how to do this.
0: Yeah, I know. What the heck, man? You've been holding out on me. But thank you for joining. Um, As I mentioned just a while ago, guys, right now we are going to talk about... We're going to start with the MLB changes and whether we think they've been a good change to the league or if they've been a bad change to the league. Um, I was excited to have my friend Matt on here. He's just not feeling well, unfortunately. So I hope you feel better soon if you're listening to this, Matt. Um, But he was one of our friends that... He was not a fan. When this came out. Um, I don't know if... Yeah, he must have voiced it in their group chat there, Ian, that he was not a huge fan of this at all.
1: Yeah, no, there was a clear clear stance that Matt had that he was not a fan of the introduction of the pitch clock. Uh, specifically. I remember that being the one rule change that he yes, had that He did like
0: the, the infield shift changed. He liked that one, but yeah, he was not a fan of the pitch clock. Um, and don't get me wrong. He is a huge baseball fan. I'd say the most baseball purest of the baseball fans that I know and have in friends. Um, but yeah, he was not a fan of the pitch clock. So I was excited to see, what his take was but we'll have him on a future episode and we'll just kind of quickly bring it up if not talk about it some more and see what he thinks
1: yeah and john i think for the listeners maybe we go over what those rule changes were uh this past season just so just we can fill everyone in
0: that makes complete sense because not everybody's a baseball fan thank you for bringing me back to route one Ian. okay so for those that aren't baseball fans um, i'm not even going to get into the whole how baseball is played but there were three rules that were changed they added a pitch timer which is kind of like the shot clock in basketball. They limited defensive shifts and they added bigger bases. And again, no worries. We will explain all of them. So again, we'll start with the pitch timer. I can't remember off the top of my head. Ian, what, what is the pitch timer like time?
1: It depends on the situation. If there's no runners on the base, it's 15 seconds. Um, I know there's, some differences between when the pitcher is ready versus when batter is ready and how that works within that 15 seconds. But the key thing is the ball has to be delivered uh, within 15 seconds of the pitch clock starting. And then same thing, ball has to be delivered by a certain time, but it's 20 seconds if there's a runner on the base uh, as well. There's some rules on how many times you can disengage, whether that's for calling timeout as a pitcher, or if you're trying to throw a pickoff attempt over to one of the bases um if you disengage twice that's fine but if you disengage a third time and you don't get the runner out uh, they automatically advance to the next base so there's a bit of a a risk reward to that yeah risk reward
0: yeah again quickly for those that aren't huge baseball fans I don't want to explain too much pickoff is when you have a guy in a base and the pitcher instead of making a pitch to the guy that's hitting he quickly throws it to a fielder to try and tag them before they touch the base um, so again, you can only really do that two times. And if you do it a third and you fail to get him out, he instantly gets to move to the next base in front of him. Um, which is big for those that aren't baseball fans. That actually is a big deal getting them in a scoring position. Um, and I know you mentioned like a kind of, and six, so yeah, the hitter, if I'm correct, it's eight seconds. They They have to be ready for eight seconds. So what they don't want the hitter doing, cause this could be a disadvantage to the pitcher is. The hitter just waits, 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 waits. And the last second says, oh, by the way, I'm ready. And then the pitcher gets smacked. So they do make the batter have to be ready by eight seconds. So it allows the yeah. pitcher enough time to wind up and deliver his pitch on time. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it was one that I'll be honest, I kind of, I did like it. I think I do have a bit of numbers on some of it. Okay, yes. So I'm just going to go over the MLB average like length of games for the past, like, let's say 10, 5, 8 years. So in Yeah, good place to start. Yeah, so in 2015, the average game lasted 2 hours and 56 minutes. So basically, you're committing 3 hours of your life to watching a baseball game. When you're at a stadium, it's great, but I'm going to be honest, as a baseball casual, I'm not going to sit in front of the TV without changing the channel for 3 hours on baseball, unless it's playoff baseball. Yeah. So, again, that's near the 3-hour mark. So 2016 to 2022, mm-hmm. all over the three-hour mark. I'm going to give it some honesty. 2016 yep. and 2018 were 40 seconds over three hours, but it's still pushing the three hours. And the rest of them really only were like a maximum of 10 minutes. But again, you're committing three hours of your life to baseball. This year, on average, two hours and 39 minutes. So you're saving 20 minutes, which, yes, isn't huge, but that's just like 20 minutes of... In my eyes, again, as a baseball casual, what seems to be eliminating the "this doesn't matter" part of the game. So, again, I like the change. It's sped it up, um, which has had uh, an increase in attendance. I think we, they maxed over seventy thousand on. Oh no, surpassed seventy million in total attendance, which I believe is a record or close to it. It's not. It's the first time they've broken seventy mil since twenty seventeen. So it's it's just. It's created an extra thing. I think the viewers, their numbers went up as well. Um, so it has added to the excitement of watching baseball. I like the change.
1: Yeah, I'm in the same position here. And I think an important part of what you mentioned, John, is that's the average length. So you're going to have yes, games that are that are going to be... Shorter than that, but in the past, when it was over the three hour mark, you're going to have some games that are going to stretch out even longer, right? Because you're that average just an average, yeah. So it's an average. So I know there were some games, you know, rank, yeah, rankings, wow. Yankees, Yankees, Red Sox was one that I know because it's such a rivalry and there's so, so much gamesmanship that would happen in the past, those games could sometimes stretch out to be three hours, 40 minutes, or longer. So as someone who watches baseball, as someone who goes to games here in Toronto, I I definitely appreciated those games that I went to when, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there, it's the eighth inning and I've only been in seat for about two hours, 40 minutes, and the game's been moving quickly. And it's getting the action, sorry, it's getting to the action part of the game. You're not waiting there as the defense gets set and then the pitcher's on the rubber, steps off, batter calls time you're, you're seeing the at bats more quickly. And I think that helps for the fan experience at the end of the day, you're seeing the parts of baseball that you want to see.
0: Yeah. hundred percent. And again, it's not only just in the stadium. It's, it's also on TV. I mean, TBS, I think, no, I don't think TBS had a 4% increase of viewership over the year. Um, Fox and F1 had a five FS one. So Fox sports one had a 5% increase. Mm -hmm. TBS had a 41% increase. Now, I'm probably going to give it to a little bit of TBS is just getting into the baseball market and more people are just watching and they're getting more games. That's why their viewers have gone up. I I think at least, but it's as mixed in with exactly what you were saying of the stadium stuff, the viewers, it's, it's clearly showing to, to, to bring more people to baseball, which ultimately is what they're trying to do with the entertainment business. They're trying to entertain people and now they're clearly entertaining more people.
1: And I think you take the other changes that they made and you can see how that also might entice people into watching baseball. You look at something like the bigger bases where it went from 15 square inches to 18 square inches, and it doesn't sound like a big thing. But we also then saw so many more steals like when you look at the uh, leaders for for
0: the first time since 2012.
1: Yep. And when you look at the league leaders, you had multiple people above 40 stolen bases. You had Ronald Acuna Jr. who had his 41 home runs, 73 stolen bases season. And, you know, when you talk about the 40-40 club, which is 40 home runs, 40 stolen bases, maybe a bit of an asterisk because he had the the larger bases for the year. And then with limiting the shift, you're talking about more offense as well. So pitch clock helps speed up the game as far as the in-between pitches side of things. But then these other things add more excitement on the base path on offense with hitters. So I can see why they made these changes and I, I was all for them. I, there was certainly concern during spring training when you saw people with pitch clock violations that were leading to either games being won or lost because of these <laughs> yeah. violations. Yeah. I think the biggest I remember thing that is that a problem. Yeah. And these are professional athletes, so I didn't see it continuing on that much past it with spring training because there's an adjustment period. But I didn't think coaching staffs would be like, oh, guys, no problem. Yeah, pitch clock violation, big whoop. It clearly got solved pretty quickly of, no, take this seriously. This change is here to stay.
0: Yeah. No, seriously. One of the other things I'm actually also just thinking quickly on the viewership numbers that I just mentioned, I wonder like how crazy that actually is if we think that last year had a bit more COVID to it, which caused a bit more people to stay at home. And now this yeah. year there's – like more people able to go to games, yet the viewership is increased on TV. So it's... it's clear, And, and that's, again, to say that they're, they're, again, over 70 million. So they've broken records in stadiums and on TV, which is matching kind of basically everything you're saying. So, yeah, the sprint speed... I mean, <laughs> sprint speed. The stolen base, on pace right now, I believe they're actually going to finish second in the live ball era. First behind... Yeah. I mean, only behind 1987. So it would be... What was that near forty years that we haven't seen this many steals in baseball? Uh, again, as a baseball casual, I personally fully liked it because now you see people, as you're saying, like Acuna who who can get seventy stolen bases in a season. It's absolutely nuts. Um, I think it's also added to people liking baseball players a bit more. I shouldn't say liking players a bit more. I can't say they were disliked before, but it's it's adding. It's at more viewers creates more stars in the sport. I think that's, it's, there's no denying that. Um, But one of the other, yeah. One of the other changes I want to quickly get your opinion on was, so again, it was those defensive shift limits. So for those that don't fully know baseball, you have your positions on the field, duh. And you're, you're standing in your certain fielding areas. Now what they used to be able to do is if a certain hitter came up and he always hit it to the left side of the field, you could push your defenders to the left side of the field, and leave one or two on the right side of the field, which is probably where he's going to hit it most of the time. This slowed down offense, as Ian was saying earlier and how offense is sped up this year, because what the rule change has done is you now can't shift everybody past second base. like You can't pass the halfway mark and just load up one side of the field. Granted, you could put pull down an outfielder and really make it hard to get a base hit, but if you got a guy that can hit the ball pretty far, you don't want to give up that over-the-head shot. Like, that's just silly. So it, it's created more offense and, and a lot more viewers on the field. I'm going to be fully honest with you. I like that it's created more offense. Don't get me wrong. I'm personally not a fan of this rule. Now, I know it contradicts. I like the more offense. I like the more runs. It's clearly, clearly created the viewers. But I'm also a fan of... Scouting and coaching and and those kind of things. Of okay, if I always hit it to the left, some defensive scout is going to be like, why can't we just put it to where he's probably going to hit it? And yes, you're going to say like it's hard to hit a baseball. I fully agree, but at that level, if somebody's always going to hit it that like I don't know. In my head, I'm always just very blunt to it. I'm just like learn to hit it the other way, like make it hard for the defense. Because to me, that's like in basketball being okay. Steph Curry always shoots the ball deep from three. But you actually can't double-team him past a certain point because then it's just unfair and we want to see more points being scored in basketball. Now, again, I know there's complete differences to hitting a basketball shot and hitting a baseball. But that's why I'm not a fan is it takes away from the ability to to be a defensive scout and, and coach where on the flip side and what Matt says is it now creates an opportunity for more exciting defensive plays. So that's cool for viewers, but I'm just being a sports enthusiast. I'm a fan of the coaching. I'm a fan of the scouting. If you can find a weakness in someone's game, why not attack it?
1: I, I'm i split on it to, to be fair with both yeah. what you've said, but also with Matt's take on it as well. I think more offense and more opportunities for offense to succeed is great. There's definitely been an increase prior to this rule change coming in that the shift happened, but there was elements of maybe someone does start to work a bit more on being able to hit the ball away from the shift is definitely something that's going to favor the offense every day of the week that this is now a
0: thing, but There is that viewers, but what if you Mm -hmm. like defense as a viewer? Now it's just like the game sucks now. (laughs)
1: Yeah, to Matt's point of what you were saying of how it's creating exciting defensive plays. Let's say it's a left-handed batter, and there's then three guys between second base and first base that might be able to stop the ball. It's pretty routine. It's not a guaranteed out, but they should be able to cover that amount of distance. But now you're you're relying on your second baseman. In your first baseman to make the stop, unless you pull that right fielder down. Right. So to me, I do think there's that opportunity for excitement, but it does take away from the strategy side of things. And that's always a, a really fun part of sport to dive into a bit more as you get more knowledge about the game, understand how yeah. things are moving throughout the game. So I, I don't mind it cause I see both sides of it, but I, it certainly favors the offense every day of the week. And it, gives players who maybe were getting stopped more easily the opportunity to be successful more frequently.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Again, it's clearly out of the viewers, and I don't hate it. I do like watching baseball. I can't say more than last year. I'm still the same baseball fan, but I know that more people clearly do like it. But again, it was just the strategic aspect that it's taking away on that specific rule change that I didn't like. Um, But yeah, again, those were kind of the three changes that, that really took the league by storm and rocked it all. So, um, yeah, overall, I like the changes. I think they're good. Um, Again, maybe a few things I would tweak, but at the end of the day, it's it's made the game more exciting. I can't deny that. So, good job, MLB. (laughs) And here we are with the second segment of today's episode. Ian is still with us, and we are now going to be talking about whether we think that midseason moves trades are are effective in actually winning a championship that year like is it is it worth it to to make the splash for that big player if you think you're there um kind of going to be talking about all leagues and also going to be briefly mentioning when I say briefly mainly just because Ian's not the I'd say I mean I'll let Ian acknowledge it but I don't think Ian's the biggest soccer fan so the the soccer segment will be quick but where I'm going to mention that as well is is the January signing window. Like, is it really worth it to to buy that $100 million player in January? Because are you actually going to win the league at the end of it? Um. So yeah, I don't know. Like quickly before we even kind of get into the different leagues, what's what's your initial take on it, Ian?
1: Well, John, my initial take is you are correct. I won't have a lot to say on the soccer (laughs) segment. (laughs) That one, I'm going to be leaning on you to have the expertise. But for me, I think it's something that can excite a fan base when a team goes out and makes a big splashy move at a deadline or before a deadline mid-season, something that might bolster their roster. But I don't think it's always necessarily the right move for a team to make. And I have a bunch of ideas as why it might not be, both for the player's performance as well as the team as a whole. But I'm curious on your take as well.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. It's, It's one where as much as I, as a fan of a team, I always want to say, hey, let's make a move for it. Let's do it. I don't realistically, at the end of the day, think it's, I shouldn't say it's worth it if you want to win that year. If if you want to win that year, to me, not worth it, but I don't want to tangle too much because we will eventually get into it, but making a mid-season trade doesn't only necessarily mean you want to win that year. Um, certain things, so I'm going to quickly jump into basketball as an example. Uh, It happens a lot to my memory, mainly just because I'm probably a basketball fan, which is why I think it happens a lot in that sport specifically. Um, But things like preventing a team or a player from going to free agency. Big example, Carmelo Anthony when he was leaving the Nuggets. Granted, I think he wanted to play in New York, so it's funny that I I actually think New York gave up too much. But you'll see teams make a trade for a player so that you can be the person that re-signs him and that he doesn't hit the free agent market. Now, again, where some people might think, why not just let him hit the free agent market and sign him? Like, Why are you losing an asset to gain an asset when you can just wait and gain the asset anyway? In my eyes, there is no guarantee. Yeah, Mello said he wanted to play in New York, but if Houston jumped into the room and was like, yeah, I'm going to offer you $20 more than New York, Mello might have left New York. So when you do that, it guarantees that your team is the one that gets him, and then he works the contract with you. So that's also one of the aspects to midseason training that I don't want to take down. But again, if it's trying to trade for a star that year, I'm going to be honest, the only one that comes to mind that I know is actually successful is, again, in basketball, It's Rasheed Wallace. So when yep. Rasheed Wallace joined that, like, ragtag group of the Pistons, they actually won it. I think it was 4 Um, they, they, they walked their way through the East and then beat Kobe and the Lakers in the finals. Um, but all the other ones, again, you've built a team and they'll win within the next four years potentially, but they don't actually win that year when you're, you're trying to do it.
1: I, I think it's a really good example of what you're saying there with building for the future, because I know with baseball as well, something that I've grown accustomed to with the Jays and the management team that they have right now love them or hate them it depends on the day and i know more recently uh some of the fan base is pretty unhappy with how the playoffs ended for them but a lot of their trades when they're targeting people whether it's off-season trades or mid-season trades is what type of contract are they trading for is it an expiring one is it something that there's more years on it and there's some control that the team has over that player being there for two or three years. So I, I agree with you. There are, there are differences between trying to make a splash to win that year versus a longer term plan that you're trying to collect players to build towards your vision. So um, I just think that there's a lot of, a lot of areas where it's not necessarily going to be beneficial. Um, so I know, I know kind of hinted at that in the intro, but um, one big thing for me is just you're taking a player out of a let's say we're using hockey or baseball as an example, you're taking them out of an environment that they've been excelling in. And that's not just the team around them, but it's also the organization, the city, their familiarity and the routine, as funny as that sounds, people they see every day could be their family, could be friends. Um, but there's so many changes that happen all at once. And, and so with that, um, as funny as it can sound it, you know, maybe they really know the team facilities well, wherever they're starting from when they get traded. OK, well, that's one more thing for them to think about. And if they're thinking about that, they're not thinking about the game. They're not thinking about practice. They're just trying to figure out that new routine. Think about when you change a job, how much like how much that changes for you. Um, there's they're still going to work. It's just a different work environment. But then there's also finding your place on that new team. Where do you fit in? How do you learn the new playbook system, things like that? And when you're talking about mid-season, like especially trade deadlines, like you have you don't have that much of the season left. So you're getting onto a moving train and you have to get up to speed pretty quickly. And these guys are pros, but it doesn't always work out with finding that fit as it might've on paper.
0: Yeah, no, I fully agree. And I, I kind of will quickly go back. I, one of the points that you mentioned that I really do like is the player is adjusting. So yeah. Again, imagine changing a new job. But not only is it changing a new job, you're changing a new city. Like your, your entire life is changing. And not only is it changing, like, again, we change jobs. We have two weeks, sometimes a month, to transition from our old job to our new job and, and move cities and find a place and settle in and meet friends. In sports, you're traded and three days later, you're expected to play, you're expected to perform. And if you don't perform, you suck. So it's it's when you have to add in, I mean, again, I'm a big basketball fan, so I've seen things. One of my favorite players, one actually while I was watching him, granted, I'm not going to say I was hoo-ha about him because he didn't get as much video time because he wasn't a superstar. Either way, Iman Shumpert. If you ha- if you don't know the name, listen to his interviews. He's absolutely amazing. I think he actually has the best Kobe story of all time. It's one of my favorite sports interviews kind of things of all time. Um, But either way. Iman Shumpert had a thing when he was traded around the place. That it's, you got to realize, again, that they're, they're humans as well. Off the court, I mean, like, you're staying in a hotel. You Like, you need to find somewhere else to live. You got to find your new way around the city. New friends. You're probably uprooting your family. If you're a wife with kids, your kids probably didn't move overnight like you did. So you're, you're leaving your family at home. It takes you longer to get places because you don't know where the heck you're going. Um, there's just a lot of aspects to it. Um, I think what's nice is there's probably the leagues and the players know this. So there's some kind of a, Hey, you're new to the town. Let me show you the ropes. And I do know that goes on, but it's, it's tough. And again, you're going to say oh, they're millionaires boo hoo. But again, regardless of money, if you up and move to a new city, most likely a new state, like everything's different. The way of living, the, the norms that people do, like it's all different that you got to factor all of that mental side into the game and expect them to perform at the exact same level they were two nights ago where they've been playing for five years, potentially like it's, there's a lot to take on to it, which is another reason why I think it adds. And then you add on the court side is again, as you're saying with the new job, every coach coaches differently. So it's not like you're going to come in and play the exact same way. Yes. The coach is going to utilize your skills and they might be those moments where they just say, you know, Kevin Durant be Kevin Durant, but it's, is when you have the new coach, the new playing style, the new practice routine, the, the new minutes rotation, like it, it's a lot to take in that most of the time. And again, maybe where I'm mentioning is more of those big trades that happen closer to the trade deadline, as opposed to like two weeks into the season, because it's all of those factors that I was just mentioning, I don't think is equal to success when it comes to playoff basketball. Yeah, you might beat those teams in the regular season, but playoff basketball is a different breed. And when you're going into those conference finals or even finals finals, you're meeting teams that have been together for three to four years. So it's tough. Um, yeah, I don't I don't I don't I don't think you can win right away. Again, you can because I mentioned the Rashid Wallace, but it's very, very tough to get it right with a star.
1: Yeah, And I know going back to What you were just saying john where it's figuring out the new system new teammates new coaches things like that i know we talked about with the point guard as part of our hardest positions in sports i think it was you know um or whoever whoever's distributing the ball for the team um when you join that new roster you're having to figure out what are people's preferences goes back to that kobe thing where he's like oh i know where Shaq wants the ball because we've played together for so long you don't have that chemistry it takes time to build and then as you also said you're probably living out of a suitcase at that, that time and then add the pressure that trade deadline acquisitions are typically people that are seen as an opportunity and a piece to get over the hump and win a championship so then you think about the pressure on that person yeah. being that midseason trade acquisition so to me i think with not a lot of time to get up to speed It is something that does create challenges. And I think when you talk about teams that trade for someone that has more years of contract other than one that's expiring at the end of that season, a lot of it is like, oh, imagine how they'll do next year with a full season of chemistry under their belt. Like they get to stay in that system. It really says a lot about what might and might not be possible for that player or players in general, not specific to one person. Um, And when you think about the mid-season move and what teams give up in that moment to try and chase the championship. In some ways it impacts the future of the team. It leverages, you know, those assets like draft picks or prospects that they can't then utilize down the road. Cause they've sold them off for that player.
0: Yeah, no, I fully agree with that. Uh, that yes. That makes complete sense. It's, um, one of the things that, as you're saying, it you you build for the future. It's nicer to trade for a person with the contract on there, and and that's where I do see the success side of the mid season move. Is not every mid season move is made to win it this year. It's made to get the player earlier before somebody else can swoop in and make a move. So this is quickly where I'll pivot a little bit to the football side, soccer for those people. The but to me the football side of things. So that's where. Again, the January signing window. For those that don't fully know the football, I'll let you know right now. There's transfer windows. So don't quote me on it. I believe it's July, August, and September. So those three months. This is mainly for European soccer. MLS has a completely different one. It depends on your season. But July, August, September is a three-month transfer window. So during that window is when you can make your moves again. I don't want to get too much into it, but it's not like a trade is you pay the club, the rights to negotiate a contract with their player. Um, and then once you negotiate the contract with the player, it all works out. You get the person. So again, it's a three months, July, August, September, which is basically the off season of European soccer. But then there's the January. So you have that one month in January where you can make your transfers. Now, where this is useful is if you have a guy that's injured, you could potentially replace him. If you found a weak spot throughout the season, you could upgrade that. But this is where I think majority of the moves are made to build the team for the future and to swoop in before another team signs in. Because again, not only is it trading and you only have the 29 teams to trade with, and then you got to worry about salaries, and then you got to worry about does the player want to go there? Is there a no trade clause? In football, you have a hundred teams around the world that theoretically, if they had the money could sign the person if he wanted to move there. So it's, you need to swoop in before you get that player. And then again, that's where it pivots to all the other sports is it it proves to be real. I mean, if I'm correct, things like the Monte Ellis trade out of golden state. Yeah. They might not have hauled anything back, but that was a trade made in the middle of the season in order to give Steph Curry, the reins of the warriors. And look how that turned out for them. Um, Again, in football, Jalen Ramsey was traded to the Rams from the Dolphins. They gave no. Yeah, was it the Dolphins? No, the Jaguars. He started on the Jaguars. Then he got traded to the Rams for a haul of picks, which the Jaguars, in my eyes, have blown. But um it allowed like Jalen Ramsey won a championship with the Rams, and he was a key piece on that Rams team. So there's there is that aspect of I'm trading for the future and I'm trading now so that another team can't get them.
1: Yeah. With the, with what I see in the NHL, because as you're saying, John, like it's not always right then and there, we're, we're trying to win a championship, but with the NHL as an example, I think the teams that have won more recently that where they've been successful is trading for depth more than a splashy star player. It's a team that knows the roster really well. And it's what is that small addition that we can make that really puts them over the edge. And you also think about there's only one championship per league, but all these teams in playoff contention are making those splashy trades. Sometimes there's a lot more that don't work out than do.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I think one thing, I guess, maybe where we can wrap up this segment is now that I'm thinking about it and looking at some trades is where I actually think the best midseason trades that do result in championships isn't trying to trade for another star. So it's not trying to trade for the Damian Little to go alongside Giannis Takumpu mid-season. Where it actually is, is trade for the one or two role players that are going to be the supporting role. Because if you're a good team that's in that championship contention, you've clearly got a starting lineup of players that know what they're doing. So instead of trying to mix up the starting lineup and try and have your point guard have to pass to a different center now, keep that five, like keep your core the same, just add in those supportive pieces add in people like a i think that's why you see people like Danny Green moving all around the places they can just, they're, they're plug and play players that i don't want to take away from their talent they're still amazing but it's i think the role player is the way to go keep your team the way it is just get support get the robin to your batman don't get a batman too uh,
1: agreed with that because while i don't know a ton about basketball i know enough that if you're getting a role player they don't they don't suck up the main minutes yeah. that your starting five has right. So as you the said, it's plug and play, to play and you're game. yeah, 15, 10 or 15 minutes. And it's easier to work that chemistry in over time with the limited time you have rather than he- go out and play 30, 35
0: minutes. Yeah, no, fully agree. Um so I guess I don't know. To recap a little bit, I like the addition. I like the the idea of the mid season trade, but realistically I don't think the mid season trade for a big star is what's needed to win it. Um, But as a fan, you want to see your team win it for years. So I like to see the big moves. I like to see my team get the, the Aaron Donald, the, the Patrick Mahomes is of the world, even though they're probably never going to be traded, but actually maybe Aaron Donald because the Rams aren't the greatest, but yes. Um, I don't know. Where do we leave off with you there, Ian?
1: I think if a team can find an advantageous situation where it's, a player who's got a bit more contract control sure that's a good opportunity with something like building towards the future but i think looking at how many teams try to be successful with that they're not in the end so i think for me it's you know build carefully in that way and really know what you need before you make that
0: trade yeah no i fully agree so uh there you have it folks let us know in the comment section on that instagram post again uh what your take is on those mid-season trades and whether you think we're crazy or if we kind of have it spot on. And here we are, third and final segment of the day. Uh, what's the word? Uh, preview, uh, warning. Um, here's my notice to you guys. I'm going to let you know this coming segment is a more visual segment.
1: Yeah, might might have been one for the YouTube idea we had back in the day, John, but we'll at least give people some references they can look up.
0: Could you imagine how big we would have been? Um,
1: life would be different.
0: Insane. I'd have a mansion by now. Um, if one only. At least. Either way, yeah, it's, I'll get there one day. I just got to get you guys to listen enough. Um, but yes, either way, uh, we're going to be talking about, to now explain finally why it's a visual one, is our take on the best sports logos and jerseys of all time and kind of which era we think hit the nail on the head um so i don't know again this is where i'm gonna say it's visual if you guys want you can play along you can follow along get your phones ready you can google these teams they're gonna be a lot of fun i think um i'm gonna have you kick this one off here ian
1: will do. So, I think for mine, I would say it's the 90s and early 2000s. Ding
0: ding ding. Now,
1: part part of that I think is the nostalgia of growing up in that era, but I'm going to say for me there were some great colors included in logos and jerseys in that era. A lot of teal, a lot of purple, bold colors in that way. Sometimes with jerseys today, I see a lot of sameness. It's a lot of the same colors, and I think People took more chances when they were doing their designs back then. Um, and I did some research on this, looking at some different logos, especially NHL logos from that era that really stood out in my mind. Things like the original Mighty Ducks logo. I love the one, it. The Anaheim. I love it, Mighty Ducks came in. It was, I
0: love it. Yeah,
1: And to throw in with that one, there was the Phoenix Coyotes logo, which is called the Kachina Coyote, which is iconic as well. Look it up,
0: people. It's actually amazing.
1: That, yeah uh another one that stood out to me was the minnesota wild logo which is from like the early 2000s but there's there's the logo itself which looks just like a scene within nature but within the scene of nature there's also like a hidden image of a bear so it's just a super well-designed logo that has stood up over time um it's coming up on like 22 23 years now at this point but also original Florida panthers logo san jose sharks Hartford Whalers had a good redesign during that era, and then there was the what I would say is controversially, either love it or hate it, New York Islanders fisherman logo. But again, people took chances, and I, I enjoyed the colors that were used and the logos that were designed. And that kind of transcends through the other sports as well, except for the NFL, which weirdly enough, like they find one logo and then stick with it forever. Is yeah, what I found.
0: <laughs> it is nuts. Like they actually, you are completely right. Now, oh my god, no, you are right. They don't yeah. redesign their logos. No, they, again, the they, they're like went from a little fuck, a little tiny person to a mm-hmm. dog to a brown football helmet. That's probably yeah. the biggest change.
1: Well, it's an orange football helmet, but yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, true. It is orange. <laughs> Way go brown. But, you can't even brown yourself.
1: Yeah, but um, it's apparently change jerseys, Sure. Change logos less often.
0: Dang. Well, I know it's a fun fact about John that I just learned that actually now probably makes John pretty stupid. That Minnesota Wilds logo, I actually saw the bear before I saw the nature scene. I was like, oh, that's a bear with some pretty cool colors. And then somebody's like, dude, that's a nature scene. And I was like, totally is.
1: And am I am I the dude, John? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: um, but yeah, no, I agree. I, I mean, yeah, I think some of it's nostalgia. Again, this really does come down to a matter of opinion. You're going to have the people that, that really like the traditional look. I mean, they're going to love that the Cowboys haven't changed anything for a long time. And don't get me wrong, there are the ones that I like. like. Something simplistic and just beautiful about the Yankees logo. I mean, I can't say I'm a Yankees fan. Everybody knows I am a Cubs fan. It's had its small changes, but it's kind of been very similar. But when you get it right, you get it right, and it's simplistic. But one of the big things that I also like where maybe why I like the 90s and early 2000s so much is I like the cartoon style of things. So when yep. you think about like the Vince Carter, Tracy McGrady era Raptors, having that purple jersey, as you said, the bold color, but having the Raptor on the front of it, it was amazing. The Houston Rockets, one where it had the rocket going around the globe. Um, I mean, there were a couple of other basketball ones that I remember that they were just Detroit I mean, Pistons. Were- the, the, with oh, the horse dude that piston's actually oh my god i did not have them on my list and that actually might dethrone a lot of flipping teams because that teal color with the teal horse and the pistons coming out of the logo yep oh and, my and god you, that is one of the greater jerseys of all time i want and do you
1: that. remember do you remember the atlanta hawks fun with the hawk flying with the yeah, basketball with the and that the
0: talons The mutombo raptors ones that wrap yep. around it yeah. yeah. Okay. So guys, we're not saying years. I know it's very tough, but Google it. the can Mutombo Hawks. You'll see the Jersey I'm yeah. talking about with the and Pistons. I know Grant Hill wore it. So you can Google the Grant Hill Pistons jerseys. Yeah.
1: And again, we're talking, these are all roughly early to mid nineties to early to mid two thousands. That'll give you a good range to look up when yeah. you're trying
0: to find these pretty much, but it's, it's one of the things why I like it. Um, some teams have also made good changes to it. I mean, not to say the Golden State Warriors were bad, but I actually kind of like the more simplistic take the Warriors took with their logo changing from the actual, it was the Sun God Warrior. It was the, again, early 2000s, even into the 2010s. I know Steph Curry wore this one. Actually, he might not have gone that far. But either way, I think that one was a change that did work out. But then again, I like that old-school cartoon Raptors. I, I like that era of sports logos and jerseys. Again, I had a different one. The Raptors were up there for me, um, but dang. Those Pistons might take it as the cake in basketball, and that's where I'm going to declare it. Pistons, that old-school teal jersey, um, is without a doubt my favorite basketball jersey of all time. I'm probably I, missing something. A bit if of... Someone's going to roast me in the comment section, I... but...
1: I did throw in as well the Utah Jazz jerseys from when Ooh, it was with the, Stockton with Malone the mountain. with the mountains. Yeah. Ooh. So th- going to throw that in the mix as well as the Minnesota Timberwolves one when uh, Kevin Garnett was there like the Timberwolves. So but I would agree like pistons and rafters for me are probably up there at the top. Well, um, the and then when you talk to
0: AI with like that. that yeah. Yeah. With Sixers at the cross.
1: Yeah. I know the one you're talking about. Early two um, thousands.
0: Look that up, guys. <laughs> yeah we're totally and then, back helping you out here
1: <laughs> we're just dropping hints and then being like eh,
0: go find it um get your phones out we're not going to help you
1: <laughs> with the mlb as much as i hate the team because they're a division rival uh, the original tampa bay rays logo and jerseys are, are really really well I done agree. um if and you then that hat when, i
0: lost at an airport the purple hat with the manta ray going across ooh. yeah Teal brim and then oh, if you find it, guys, return it.
1: And apparently the state of Arizona was just absolutely winning with jerseys at one point in time because the Arizona Diamondbacks with the teal and purple was another was iconic one. one. That was so, a good one.
0: Those so are just some, some one was a nice one. So yeah, the Suns, yeah. the Diamondbacks, the Coyotes. Uh, yeah. Carbos, and,
1: And for me, like the J's of that era, there was one logo that was definitely better in the, in the early nineties to mid nineties. And then it started moving away from logos. I liked until they've revamped it back to something similar to that one. But yeah, I think for me, again, it's the era that I grew up watching sports. in, so I really like the jerseys from that. Um, I don't know about you, John, but collected hockey cards, baseball cards, things like that. So this is what I saw all the time and. It was just the chances they took, and we don't see that as much all the time anymore. There is there is a time and place for the simplicity, as you said, because sometimes it looks so classic, but something about it, something about that era.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree. I can't say I did the the player cards or those kind of things, but one of the things that I've gotten into in the past like 10 years, I, I've always been a fan of it, but now that I'm independent with my own money, I spend the money on it. I think I have, like, 27 sports jerseys up in my closet. Like, it's a stupid amount of jerseys that I have, and most of them are from the era we're talking about now. Again, I don't want to completely crap on all the other areas. I do think there are some teams that potentially have got it right. Um, so, again, as I was saying, I like the Golden State Warriors. I like the additions they've done. Um, let me try and think of some like other leagues. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like the Eagles jerseys now. I like the throwback with the Kelly Greens that they do. Um... Some people really, really... I find this jersey is a love-hate one. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I think, did a good one going from those creamsicle jerseys. I don't know the era, guys, but you can Google it. Creamsicle Buccaneers jerseys. I love the logo yeah. with the with like, with the Pirate. Not a huge fan of the, the that creamsicle orange. I yeah. like the fact that they went to their pewter and gold. Um, so, yeah, yeah I, I mean, think okay, some... there are some teams that get it right, but oh, that, those early jerseys, early logos were just... banging.
1: Yeah, I think so. I know, John, you mentioned the Yankees. Um, I know the Cubs have stuck pretty consistent with their jerseys. Pretty similar.
0: They've added a Cub here and there, but the logo is the same, oh. the Red Sea.
1: Red Sox. Yeah, Red Sox as well. And I think those those are classics in the sense that they stand the test of time. They're still the in use right place. now. And so there there's that part of it. But those are just a select few jerseys that stood the, stood the tandem. Yeah. <laughs> Stood the test of time. There we go. Only took a few yeah. times, but um, it's not every jersey from that era, right? So for me, what's memorable about those is just the volume of jerseys that were so well designed. The logos as well.
0: I agree. One of the things that I wish and where it makes it tricky is the rules and the sponsorship and the behind the scenes where the rich people want to stay rich. And NFL and other sports, like I would love to see like a twist on what college basketball or college sports do. And adding multiple different ones. Like, there's rules in football where you can only wear certain alternate jerseys on certain amount of times. I'm pretty sure. Maybe they've high-boshed a little bit, but it was a rule. But how awesome would it be if your sports team had three or four different helmets that are rocked on different occasions? Basically, like, I know the ultimate, like, not a lot of teams have the money and things for it. But, like, you always think of Oregon, where they have 20 different jersey combinations throughout you. Like, imagine playing a football season... And every week, you see your team in a different jersey combination. Some people, again, they like the classic. They like to see, hey, there's my black and yellow Steelers. They're never going to change. I like to see that too. But I like to see the flair that certain people can have on it. And then, again, I don't want to get too much into it, but then it adds the accessory side of players. But we're sticking with logos and jerseys. So I want to see a league that allows multiple different jerseys. Like keeping with the color scheme, I understand that. But allowing those alternates, allowing the different logos, allowing the different colors to mismatch and just make it fun for the fans to follow along.
1: I I like that you brought up alternate jerseys, John, because right now I feel like there's a bit of a revival in the NHL of bringing back yes. the Mighty Ducks jersey, the Kachina Coyote, things like that as an alternate third jersey, which a team can wear every so often. And The way I see it is you will get interest and probably more merchandise sales with jerseys, T-shirts, things like that. If you bring things like that back or bring out an alternate jersey, that's new that people really like, but you you have to do a good job with the design.
0: Yeah, no, that's it. Step one, design it well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, because there have been some redesigns that, eh, I don't know. No, we, we that could be a whole other segment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the bad ones. I can't say I'm a big fan of the Commanders. I actually prefer the football team.
1: No, and the New York Islanders have recently had a really ugly third jersey.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So again, there have been some ones that got it wrong, but there you go. There's your take on it, guys. Again, you might not have got anything away from it, and I told you to follow along, and it was probably impossible to follow along, but early 90s, 2000s, My favorites, again, those Pistons are up there. Ian's mentioned them. Those old-school Ducks ones are up there. Man, if I had to put a top three, I might throw that Raptors one in there too. I don't don't know. I'm probably definitely missing some football one. I like the Philadelphia Kelly Green, but it's not a top three. Don't know enough about baseball to say I like the old-school ones. Ooh. No, what might be top three? The old school Mariners jerseys that Ken Griffey, like there were old school and Ken Griffey was kind of there. Yeah. Um, and I think they actually did a rebrand from them now. Cause even the current Ken Griffey ones, like I like the the green one with like the compass Seattle logo one. So if you haven't seen it, you yeah. can Google the Ken Griffey Seattle Mariners jersey. It's the green one that might make my top three actually.
1: Yeah. I'm going to give you one for each league. So mighty ducks. Oh yeah. For the NHL. I'm going to go with the Diamondbacks from the MLB. Okay. okay. I'm going to be a homer and go with the Toronto Raptors for the NBA. You got it. And then we're going to go Miami Dolphins because they had one of my favorite logos oh. from the NFL for that era.
0: I would agree. that I mean, they've kept the same dolphin with a helmet, but that old school dolphin with a helmet was the, Jason Taylor, the Jason Taylor dolphin that's, era. That's guys. the era. Yeah, that's, that's the, the one. era. I think Dan Marino rocked it a little bit, but the Jason Taylor one, man, they, they rocked that one. They had that alternate orange jersey that slapped too.
1: Yeah, and they've recently changed their logo a bit to be a bit more modern, more simplistic. But yeah, yeah. the dolphin with the helmet one's that pretty iconic in my mind.
0: Is my fa- oh, that is, oh, good call, Ian. So there you have it, folks. You probably got absolutely nothing out of this, but we had fun talking about it. So thanks for listening. <laughs> And there you have it. That is the end of another episode of Roped In. I'm having a lot of fun making these. This is episode 15. I'm 10 more away from another benchmark. Um, it's been so fun to get people that I, I know, friends and family involved and on these episodes as well. So thank you to everyone who has been a part of it. Thank you to all the listeners who are following along. Um, it's been super amazing. I feel super blessed to have all of you in my corner. Um Yeah, I got nothing else for you guys this week Stay tuned for next week's episode And as always, Hakuna Matata